This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball. Danny is at the beach, toes probably in the sand right now. So, he won't be with me. I'm solo, but I've got producer Darius to chime in from time to time. Who's making everything sound good. I'm looking forward to bringing you an episode of Boston Loose Baseball. You'll hear from Kylie McDaniel of ESPN, just ranked the Nats system in the top 10 in baseball. In fact, he's got them 10th. Uh, Fangraphs has them as high as 8, I believe. And they even said if Gore and uh, C.J. Abrams were part of the system still, that they would be in the top five, which is not the case because both of those guys have recently graduated. But we'll talk to Kylie coming up a bit as well. All right, so let's get to it. The Nationals get just destroyed by the Phillies, 13-1 to on Sunday. They were swept in a four-game series at Philadelphia, and big for the Phillies because they're still making a playoff push. They feel like they can make the postseason. They've got a wild-card spot nailed down as of right now. The Nats in that series were outscored 36-12, to which is unacceptable. I mean, I understand you, you sold off Soto and Josh Bell, and you know now you're in a situation. I'm going to put a mic cover on here. So if that sounded weird, sorry. I didn't want my peas popping for the rest of the pod. But, um, yeah, you're in a situation where you sell off Soto, you sell off Bell, and this is now about development almost exclusively, and the rest of this season matters very little. Here's the problem with that is – you can't get beat 36 to 12 over four games. Like, I need you to give me a reason to watch. I need you guys to have reasons to tune in. You, you need the ball club to be competitive. The Nats in that four game series hit one home run. The Phillies hit 14. I mean, the Nats just couldn't keep the ball in the park. Uh, the Nationals have the worst record in baseball right now, as we talk today on Monday 36 and 74. Everything's going in the wrong direction at the big league level. Uh, at this point. So I think there's plenty to dive into, but I want to start with just kind of how bad that series was against the Phillies. I mean, the most competitive game was actually the Thursday game, the 5-4 to four loss in Philadelphia. And in that game, the Phillies, through Noah Syndergaard, remember he gave up 11 hits in five innings, and the Nats were within a run when the Reigns came and ended the game effectively. Uh, Paolo Espino had given up five Ernie's and four innings. Luckily, they didn't have to use the bullpen. That was the only good thing about the rainout. I'd like to say really quickly that Major League Baseball games should not end when a team is trailing by one and only four and a half innings have been played. I understand that official games can be called if there's a delay and if the leading team is at home and hasn't batted yet after four and a half innings. I get the rules. I'm, I'm not dumb. It's a bad rule. You need to come back the next day and finish that game as far as I'm concerned. it's you, You've played half of a game, and the Nationals are right there within a run, and they actually had the momentum at that time, but I digress. Uh, game two of the series, the Phillies won 7-2. to uh, That's when Kyle Gibson just completely shut the Nats lineup down. Eight innings of two-hit ball, uh, struck out four, pitched to a lot of contact. In that game, only Luis Garcia had multiple hits, batting second in the order. He was two for four. Otherwise... You know, they had one hit in the game. I think it was Joey Manessis who was batting eighth, the uh, first baseman. Uh, so they had dropped back-to-back games. And then you have the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, where the Phillies just completely poured it on. On Saturday, 
it was kind of a, an Oprah Winfrey game for the Phils. You get three RBI, JT Realmuto. You get a three-run homer, Matt Veerling. You get two RBI, Bryson Stott. And I don't need to remind anyone that Patrick Corbin pitched and didn't get out of the first inning. And I will talk about Patrick Corbin in just a second because it is the second time in three starts that Patrick Corbin has not gotten out of the first inning. But Jordan Weems came in, and he throws hard. He's 98, had a pretty good run in upper minors for the Nats this year. But the fastball's very hittable, pretty flat, it seems like to me. Gets a lot of the plate, and he gets barreled. Uh, Steve Shishik threw a really good inning, and Hunter Harvey hung a scoreless inning despite a couple of hits. But the damage had been done. You lose 11-5. to And then in the final game of the series on Sunday, as I mentioned, a 13-1 to romping. Uh, the top two spots in the order, Thomas and Garcia 0 for 8 to kind of set the tone. Only Luke Voigt with two hits and a walk was productive in the lineup largely. Uh, I do want to commend Luke Voigt, who's already hit a homer and who drove in a run in his first at-bat with the Nationals for what was a pretty productive series in Philly in his debut in Washington. Uh, having said that, I feel for the guy a little bit. You know, he said the right things. He made it pretty clear that he's happy to be here, that he wants to be a leader, that he is, you know, excited to be part of a, a young clubhouse and, and the exuberance that could rub off. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Bottom line is, I, I just think that's all lip service. I mean, he cannot be happy about this. He wasn't supposed to be traded here. Eric Hosmer was. Hosmer said no. Hosmer said, I'm not going to Washington. So they had to flip him to Boston. Meaning then, one of the mutually agreed upon players that the Nats had given them a list of had to come to Washington as the sixth player. And Voigt was one of the guys on that list. And then the Padres kind of handpicked him, claw machine style, lifted him up and dropped him into the bin to, to go to D.C. So there's just no way you leave a playoff bound Padres team where they're selling out and the atmosphere is electrifying and you go to Washington and you feel good about that. Uh, so I do feel for him, but. Hopefully, uh, best case scenario, honestly, he finishes the season strong, hits you know a handful, seven, eight home runs maybe down the stretch, swings for some power, and maybe he becomes a piece you could move this offseason because right now they got three DHs. You know, they, they don't necessarily need that. Manessis, Nelson Cruz, Luke Voigt, um, one of those, two of those guys, probably expendable, but the trade deadline's over. None of those guys are getting moved now. So team could look very, very different next year. Obviously, Nelson Cruz, unlikely to be here. I mean, Manessis, you know, take him or leave him, is just kind of a minor league organizational soldier type. May or may not be here. Voight is under contract and fairly controllable, so he'd be the likely DH next season, I would say. But if someone's interested in him, and I, I can't imagine there would be a, a ton of interest, but maybe if he has a strong finish to the year, he wants out, you know, or wants the chance to go compete somewhere in his 30s, you could do something like that. I don't know. Uh, but be interesting to at least watch him. He's a reason to, to keep watching, I suppose, because it's a, it's a fresh face uh, the rest of the way. And that's kind of what we're trying to figure out is what are the reasons to keep watching. I would tell you that K. Barrett Ruiz is right at the top of that list with Luis Garcia. Those are building blocks, everyday players. Ruiz, we now know, can't play short. But you're going to move him to second. He's going to be your starting second baseman of the future. The hands are legit. I mean, he can drop the barrel. Had a really, really impressive double with lightning fast hands this past week. Matter of fact, it was the night of the trade deadline. He barreled into the gap. And I was talking to someone with the Nats, and they said, did you see that? You know, that's what we love about this guy. They, they really think he's going to hit big league pitching and velocity and, and good big league pitching, which is great. He just can't play short. So you move him to second. Abrams is going to play short. Hopefully Brady House plays third. And, and you got the makings of a homegrown infield for the future. 
But those two guys, Ruiz behind the plate and Garcia at second, hopefully very soon when Abrams gets the bump, are definitely worth watching. I would put Josiah Gray on that list. You know, Josiah Gray, it has not been pretty lately. I think you guys know that. He's really struggled with the long ball here of late. We're talking about one of the highest home run totals in Major League Baseball, kind of circuit to circuit this year. And his ERA is now ballooned to almost five at 4.92 through 20 starts. The stuff is really good, though. He's got 122 strikeouts in 106 innings. Even here recently when he's been victimized by home runs, you know, he's striking out at least a batter or more per inning. But you know, his last seven starts, his ERA is almost seven. His last 15 starts, his ERA is five and a half. So it has been a struggle for Josiah Gray. His whip is 1.4 over his last seven. I mean, that's basically two times what like a dominant reliever would have, I would say. But it's it's certainly um, indicative of the occasional walk, and he's getting hit too hard right now. I haven't cooled on, on how I feel about him. I, I love Gray, and I'm, I'm really excited about his future. Uh, the 24-year-old has proven this season that he's a, a big league starting pitcher. The question for me on Josiah Gray who when he pitches is, is must-see TV the rest of the way and a reason to keep watching, is he going to be a, a front-line type starter? Can he be a, a number two? Or is he more of a, a mid-rotation type guy? You know, He's got three pitches technically, fastball, curveball, slider. However, I still think he needs a change-up to get uh, hitters off of the velocity because as good as his fastball velo is, it doesn't miss bats as frequently as you would like. Uh, control has is, is not necessarily been an issue, but command has been. The difference, as we talk about on this pod sometimes, control, being able to throw the ball over the plate, and command is you know being able to locate within the strike zone, hit the mitt, throw to a quadrant, which has not always been a strength for him uh, this year. And, and Davies talked a lot about that. He's got to get ahead, and he's got to pelt the strike zone more often, but specifically you know throw quality strikes. So, it's been a rough go. This is part of the development, and, and this is a long season, right? You're talking about six months of baseball. I always like to say 183 business days. I think those numbers have changed after the strike uh, shortener lockout, whatever the hell it was, way back when, uh, situation at the beginning of the year. But for a half year, every five days you're going out there, and it's a grind, and this is his first full big league season. So you kind of expect the dog days here to get to you. But a little bit discouraging, a little bit frustrating. But in the grand scheme of things, you, know, you line him up, you keep him healthy to be in the middle of the rotation next year. And I think you, you have a nice season to build on for him if, if he can have a decent September coming up or you know a nice stretch, string together two, three, four good starts uh, down the road here. Patrick Corbin, I mentioned, though, I wanted to talk about. You, you got to do something here, Nats. I mean, you just have to. I'm sorry. It's time. They cannot continue to trot Patrick Corbin out every five days anymore. Not when he's not getting out of the first inning. See, Patrick Corbin's value to the Nationals was that he could save you relievers, save your arms in the bullpen, because no matter what, you knew he would just wear it. Even if he was struggling, he was going to give you five innings. And if you really wanted to push him into the 100-plus pitches, you know he could pitch six innings at a time for you. And occasionally, go back and look. He'll throw seven. He'll throw eight when teams are trying to attack him on the first pitch strategically to stay away from two strikes in that slider. And he did that a few times this year where he would get really deep into starts. There is value in that. I would always say when, when folks would tell me and when I talk to people at the ballpark, you got to get rid of Patrick Corbin. They've got to DFA him. They've got to release him or something. 
I would say, look, there is a little bit of value still, even while he's been awful, because he does save your bullpen. Because he does give you known innings in a rotation where you don't always know what you're getting out of a Josiah Gray or an Eric Fetty. You don't expect any length out of Paolo Espino, four innings at a time-ish, five if you're lucky. Same with Anibal Sanchez. You can't just keep running through your bullpen the way that they do. So you have to have a guy who can wear it a little bit. And that was Patrick Corbin's role. Guess what? Patrick Corbin can't get out of the first inning in two of his last three starts. So that part of it is gone. Uh, He is right now leading the league in losses. By the way, for his second straight year, he's going to lose well over 20 games, which nobody's done in years in baseball. Uh, He is leading the league in hits allowed. He's leading the league in earned runs allowed. Last year, he led the league in losses and in earned runs and in home runs allowed. The year before that, he led the league in hits allowed. Uh, It has been a disastrous post-19 for Corbin. You guys know that. 2020 was kind of the beginning of the end when his ERA was 4.6, and he gave it the most hits in the sport. But even then, his FIP, meaning the the fielding independent pitching, like what his ERA should be based on what he controls, was 4.17. So I could make the case coming out of 20. Yeah, really bad year, but... You know, maybe it was just a one-off. Oh, by the way, it was the pandemic. The offseason wasn't normal. Maybe he didn't build up his arm strength. There's a lot of ways to make excuses for him, and the Nats did. So then we fast forward to 2021, where you have a full season and a ramp-up, normal offseason, and he can get back to being Patrick Corbin. And then we saw with the league-leading loss total, earned runs total, home runs total, that 2020 was not a fluke and that he just didn't really have it anymore. Again, his ERA 5.82 was worse than his fielding independent pitching, which was 5.41. So you kind of heard the comments from the Nats, the people that I trust and talk to, would say things like, oh, but he wasn't quite as bad as the numbers. Well, I would hope not. I mean, the numbers were really bad. But I digress. So then you have an offseason where you don't add pitching. Uh, We all know how we got here, that they trade off some of their pieces, and then Strasburg. Uh, ends up uh, still not recovering and wasn't healthy at the start of the year. So Corbin is pitching on opening night this year against the Mets, remember? He was their opening day starter. And this has kind of always been my point with Corbin. You can justify paying him and allowing him to have a a 5.5 ERA as your fifth starter who gobbles up innings for you. You can do that, no problem. The issue is that he's pitching on opening day and he's your number one starter. That doesn't work. And, oh, by the way, now you're not gobbling up the innings as it is. But you go into this season and you say, you know what? He had a really bad year. We don't really count 2020 at all. This is the Nats saying this probably. You know, it was a strange thing. It was a fluke. But 2021, look, look at the end of the season. He got a lot better at the end of the year. He started to show signs. We like how he finished. I mean, these are things they were saying, and they were confident he was going to be better. He's got an ERA of 7.02. Now, I will say that his fielding independent pitching – Again, what his ERA should be, if you take kind of luck and some things out of the pitcher's control, out of the equation, is in the fours, 4.96. It's actually better than it's been over the last year and a half or so. And so the Nationals are going to be able to play that game again, where they say, oh, he's he's not as bad as his numbers. But by God, I mean, I, I would have played that game with him, you know, maybe six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. When you're just getting rocked in the first inning, like no one through through 23 starts has had an ERA over seven in the majors in years and years. This is hard to do. 110 innings, and he's allowed 86 earned runs. 
No, now up to 21 home runs on the season. It's it's bad. It's tough to watch. So what are your options, right? That, that's the big question. What are they going to do about this? I think among their options are you could IL him. And I've been kind of looking today before I taped the pod here Monday afternoon. I was kind of hoping that some news would come out one way or the other on what their plan was with Corbin so that we could tell you so that it's not dated if it comes out after we post. But what I would do is I would put him on the injured list. And it, it we call it a phantom IL in the industry, but there's always something with these guys that is actually injured listable, if you will. Like, no one's 100% this deep into the season. No one. Physically, mentally, emotionally, you're just not. So there's absolutely a way that you could put him on the IL and say something's barking, something's problematic. That's number one. Number two, if you don't want to put him on the injured list and just give him a couple weeks off where you don't have to worry about seeing him pitch and he gets to clear his head, which is what I would do, you could move him to the bullpen. And that might be the most realistic thing that they do, honestly, is they just move him to the pen, give him two, three innings at a time. You know, Maybe at, at that point he's he kind of has an opener and it's like he's still a starter, but someone pitches an inning or two before he throws. And then his job is to get you through the sixth or something. But... That would be the the other, I would say, realistic option is, for now, you're no longer starting. We'll pitch you twice a week, three innings or so at a time, and we'll see how that works. Remember, David Price makes unbelievable money with the Dodgers and is a left-hander now coming out of their bullpen as occasionally a multi-inning guy who they are trying to get the most out of because he'd really, really, really struggled. So I think that's an option with Patrick Corbin. And then the other option which is not realistic, not happening, not plausible. I'll go on record and maybe look foolish uh, if something happens other than what I'm predicting. I guess would be to, to just DFA him and eat the rest of the money, and I don't see that happening um, for a lot of reasons. But most notably, I think they believe that, A, he's better than he's pitched. I mean, it's a harder case to make after now three seasons almost. But, I mean, they believe he's been better in every single season than his numbers. Also, again... Just pitching every fifth day and having a veteran in your rotation with all these young guys to them is meaningful and valuable, and they like that, and they think there's something good about that. So that's part of, I think, why they would not move on from him. And I'm not sure I would right now either. I mean, if you're going to do that at this point, the offseason is probably a more likely time to do it. Uh, But I think you could experiment and try some other things first. So. I would go with the IL route. They'll probably go with the bullpen route. Or, heck, I mean, the way things have gone the last couple of years, maybe they'll just decide they're going to keep throwing them every fifth day. And uh, we're just going to have to keep watching it. Speaking of watching, though, I did do a lot of sifting through Facebook and looking at pictures of my old girlfriend. I have been obsessed with watching Juan Soto for the Padres so far. It has been a lot more Juan Soto monitoring like looking in through his window uncomfortably than I anticipated, to be completely honest with you. I thought, oh, he'll be traded and he'll just be on the West Coast and I won't have to worry about it. And I'm sure I'll get to a point where I'm not watching every at-bat and watching every Padres game, but I'm not at that point yet. And luckily for all of us, he was on Sunday Night Baseball against the Dodgers, nationally televised. And they had him mic'd up in the outfield talking about his time in Washington and why he turned down the contract and saying 
you know, I had nothing to do with it. it. I just leave it up to my agent, and this is the decision they made. It's been a trying several days since the Soto trade. But I want nothing but good things for him. I hope he and Josh Bell win a World Series. I want them to make the playoffs and, and come out of the NL and, and win another ring. I love both of those guys, and specifically, I just can't thank Soto enough for what he did in D.C., and you guys know how I felt about the trade already. I don't need to re-legislate that, but... I don't want to trade Juan Soto. I never wanted to trade Juan Soto. You should never trade Juan Soto. But if he's not resigning, which is my opinion, that he was not going to resign, then you have to recoup as much as possible. And they're in a terrible spot in their system and didn't have enough talent coming. So I kind of viewed it as a no-brainer opportunity to try to add pieces that could end up helping you and, and not knowing. I mean, not all those guys are going to make the big leagues and be great, whether it's Abrams or Gore or James Wood or Robert Hassel or... Um, you know, Yarlin Susana, like it's not all going to be pretty. I, I get that. Some of those guys are going to fizzle out and other guys are just going to bomb. And, and ideally two of them become really good big leaguers and anything more than that's probably a slam dunk for Rizzo. But the point is to recoup as much talent as possible. And I mean, imagine if they only got three guys, right? And it, like, that's normal. Three really good players in a deal. Well, then maybe one works out or none, right? So, you gave yourself the best chance possible to kind of restock the system here, which I liked. And without re-legislating too much, I have made peace with and feel okay about and was totally on board with the trade before it happened, but it has been very painful. And I will say that having been at Nats Park since, I went to the day game 405 on Wednesday, the day after the Tuesday deadline. One of the days where they got their teeth kicked in by the Mets. It was way worse than I expected, just in terms of sitting there and watching Joey Manessis and Josh Palacios and um, Ildeberto Vargas, I think, had a four-hit game, if, if I'm even saying that right, uh, I believe is his name, uh, who I hadn't heard of before he was in the organization recently. He started in the big leagues elsewhere earlier in the year. It's, it's just going to be a long time. The rest of this summer is going to feel like forever, and it's it's going to when you go to the ballpark. Trust me on this; it's it's harder than you think. First time I'd say I was talking to a longtime DC sports writer about this actually, and they said, you know, you've always had someone to watch, whether it was Ryan Zimmerman or uh, Juan Soto or Bryce Harper. I mean, there, there was always somebody, and now there's not. And if you're a baseball nerd or you're into the future like I am with. K. Barrett Ruiz or Luis Garcia or, or maybe it's JoJo Gray on the Hill or whatever, then certainly there's someone worth monitoring. But the point is there is no star anymore. There is no top-tier player that you go to see, a la Zimmerman in his prime, before handing the torch to Bryce, who handed the torch to maybe Turner, who handed the torch to Soto with Rendon having carried it plenty of days in the meantime. Um, we're just at a point where there isn't a guy that, that you go to watch, and it's, it is hard. It's been more difficult than I thought. All right, I want to uh, get some quick takes from producer Darris, though, to get some fan perspective on the pod here before we hear from Kylie McDaniel on the system, and I'll update you on how things are going in the minor leagues for the guys that have been acquired. But, uh, Darris, we've had some time now to process. We've seen the, the aftermath of the trade. How are you feeling? Um... Grant, it's been tough. It's been tough. To, <laughs> it's been tough to watch the team beyond this so far. It was a great weekend, though. They really played well in Philly. 
Yeah, no, <laughs> I can't. I can't even banter with you in a joking yeah. way on that. It, not, it, you're it, like uh, Aaron Rodgers in his interview, I think, with the part of my take guys where they made a joke, and he's like, "That's not actually funny. I don't, I don't no, find that funny at all." No, not funny at all. Um, I, that's. I think that's the the point that you've been bringing up is what is there to watch, and it should be that you're here to watch Luis Garcia continue to develop, but then when he goes and spikes a ball into the other team's uh into the other team's dugout you, all you can do is shake your head and put your put your face in your palm it, and, and then you you just see all the excitement and the national attention that Juan is getting and Josh Bell is getting on the other side of the country it, it, you know it's a, it's a little disheartening but i think we talked about this before we talked about this early on in the life of this podcast this this is the process. Now we didn't know that losing Juan was going to be a part of the process at the time. We thought that would come two years later <laughs> via free agency as opposed to a trade. Uh, but but as far as the rebuilding process and 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 where we're going to be in a couple years after that, uh, th- this is what we talked about before. And 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 this it's going to be tough. It's going to be rough for us to get through this. But we will get to a point where this team will be watchable again. This team will have young stars that are rising and you know maybe at, at some point we'll have an owner that will spend in free agency that'll help build along with those young stars yeah that is the dream scenario I, I think you get the new owner in here that spends in the offseason I doubt they'll spend much in that first offseason this year because you're not close right but they're gonna have to do something I mean because this is not a major league team they're fielding and you can't have this team going into a season on an opening day next year or something like it, and and continue to charge the prices that they do. So either you have to lower prices substantially for tickets and everything else, or you actually go out and add some major league talent, which I'm sure they'll do. But if you know things go the way that we think, and, and Robert Hassel's in the big leagues, and C.J. Abrams is in the majors, and Mackenzie Gore's in the majors, you know within the next couple of years, and and you're spending a little bit in free agency, then you're going to be ultra competitive again, ideally within the division. You know even as soon as two years from now, I hopefully. And that's kind of what this trade maybe gives you a chance to do. Speaking of Hassel, I wanted to talk about what some of the minor leaguers have done since they came over. So Hassel is at Wilmington in A-plus ball. He's played in four games as we talk here on Monday. He's 0 for his first 13 at the plate. Not ideal. Uh, He does have three runs, and he has stolen a pair of bases. I haven't gotten on and driven in a run. I walked in a run as well. So remember, he was hitting 300 and was in the middle of a, a slump. Um, was kind of trending down after getting off to a great start in the Midwest League, in the A-plus league uh, that he was playing in, in San Diego system. But it has been a slow start over his first 13 in Wilmington. Not concerned at all, but, uh, man, it's hard. I mean, you you know, you just got traded. Your life's kind of turned upside down, so he's trying to get it together. James Wood made an instant impact in his second game in Fredericksburg, I believe it was. Uh, Might have even been his debut in Fredericksburg. He went four for five. Uh, Four-hit game early last week. He's now 5-for-15 overall at the plate. So those four hits looming large. Has a home run and three batted in already uh, with the Fred Nats in low A ball. If you need a reason to go to Fredericksburg, he is definitely one of them. He is absolutely on that short list. You know, you got uh, Jackson Rutledge has been pitching a little bit better. They have um, uh, Andre Lara is there as well, uh, who's one of the higher-end pitching prospects in the system. Um, that's a good squad in general. Uh, I like T.J. White, a couple other guys on that Fredericksburg team. But, yeah, he's definitely the main attraction. C.J. Abrams was assigned to AAA, even though he had been in the big leagues uh, when the trade was made. And in the International League now, in three games in Rochester, 
Um, he is 3-4-11 at the plate, so about a two seventy five average. But he's got a pair of doubles and has driven in a run. Um, already has a stolen base in those three games. He had just 10 stolen bases in 140 at-bats uh, in El Paso in the PCL. But I think the Nats are going to ask him to, to run a little bit more. Part of the reason they wanted him was his athleticism. And then I haven't heard the plan yet for Yarlan Susana in terms of pitching. We know that he's going to start in Florida before he eventually gets to Fredericksburg. But I uh, do not believe he has thrown yet. Generally, whatever cautious is or, like, slow or methodical, just go two levels below that, and that's what the Nationals do. So maybe he'll pitch sometime in, like, four years or something like that. But um, so far, we are waiting on Yarlin Susana. Hopefully he gets an outing in Fredericksburg before the end of the year, but I suppose I shouldn't hold my breath. Uh, Mackenzie Gore told reporters that he is going to um, start throwing. Remember, he came on our show on Grant and Danny, and I think we put the interview on the podcast last week and said that the injury was minor and that he planned on um, being on the hill and, and throwing again within a couple of weeks. So that still sounds like it's the plan for Mackenzie Gore. Let, let me ask you about Abrams. Uh, one, do you do you think we do see him by September? I and do, the- yes. I, I actually think he'll be up like this week. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I could be wrong. I mean, I had people with the team basically tell me it's going to be a couple of weeks. They referenced what they did with Ruiz. Remember when they sent Ruiz down for like two weeks? Yeah, yeah. I don't really understand why they say to get accustomed to the organization. I don't know what that means, <laughs> especially when you're going to be spending more time in the big league. So getting comfortable in Rochester doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I digress. Um, but, yeah, so th- if that's true, if, if that's really what they're comping this to, well, then this weekish seems about right. And then uh, it seems like it's under-talked about, but I think – Abrams coming up is a huge deal for being able to move Luis Garcia to second base. And that seems under talked about to me. Totally agree. You know, earlier in the pot, I was referencing that we have enough information now on Luis Garcia that he can't play shortstop. And that's not to be rude or mean or anything like that. It's just, he's not a shortstop. A lot of guys aren't a shortstop. Hundreds and thousands and millions of people are not shortstops. He just happens to be one of them. So that's fine. You just move him to second and let him hit and, and no harm, no foul. Uh, but, yes, I agree with you. You get Abrams up to play short. You move Garcia over to second, and I think it's a really good thing. I love it. I love the the potential of what that duo can be going forward for a long time. All right, so as promised then, Darius, let's let the people hear from Kylie McDaniel of ESPN on the Nationals system, which he ranked 10th, top 10 now, in all of baseball after their big Soto deal. 